I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Today's episode of the pod is for an entrepreneur at a very specific place in their startup idea's life. Maybe you're in this place. Based on the number of emails and questions we get about today's topic, it's likely you are. But if you aren't, go ahead and take the week off. You've earned it. You'll miss a few pretty good jokes, none as good as Aju Sirius from last week, but some decent ones. If you need something to do to pass the time, you can maybe figure out what's coming out of those giant orange tubes that are in the middle of the streets in New York City. If you aren't from New York, you probably don't know what I'm talking about, but there are these giant, like, eight-foot tubes that stick out of the streets that people just drive around that are spewing clouds of smoke or steam at all times. It's like those experiments you did in fourth grade with the volcano and the baking soda. Everyone in the city just ignores them, which is one of my favorite traits of New Yorkers, but what is going on there? Why is there so much steam under the road? Let me know if you figure it out. For the rest of you that aren't solving that mystery and are in the place I'm referring to, we're going to work through it today. The pod is going to help. We get asked some version of the same question pretty consistently. What should I build? The question comes from an entrepreneur confident that they found a problem that a specific customer desperately wants solved and confident that they want to be the one to solve it. The simple act of asking for help around what product to build is, in my experience, an excruciatingly tough question for entrepreneurs to ask. This is because the lore around great entrepreneurs leads us to believe that building beautiful, simple, elegant solutions to problems should be innate. You think Steve Jobs asked anyone what to build? Great entrepreneurs should just know. This is obviously a load of horseshit. You're just as likely to innately know how to speak Italian as you are to innately know what product to build if you've never built one before, but the effects are real. People rely on their gut and build the wrong things all the time, and at the earliest stages when your time and resources are strapped, it's unlikely you can bounce back from building the wrong thing. The first product you build has a specific job to solve a problem for a hand-picked initial customer in a way that'll make them so happy they'll share it. The last part of that sentence is by far the most important. A great product delivered to the right customer replaces the need for marketing early on. This gives you more money and time to iterate on that product and learn more about your customer. If your first product doesn't do that job and it doesn't solve a problem in a way that leads to your customer sharing, you're going to need to spend money on marketing to get customers to keep momentum and the lights on, which means less time and money on the product, which, if it isn't helping you acquire customers, needs those things. And the most painful kicker, digital advertising doesn't really work anymore. Not for startups. Targeting for digital ads is a mess and cost for social ads and influencers is artificially high. You're priced out. You'll only grow if your first product is compelling enough that your customers share it to people like them. Full stop. Which means we can't screw it up. Today, we'll teach you a framework that'll help you do that. We call it the product pyramid, and it'll ensure the first thing you build is focused on the right things, which is like 95% of the product battle. And to talk through the pyramid, I've got to first tell you a story. When my dog Ruby was a puppy, I wanted to teach her to sit. For newer listeners, she's a 70-pound Bernadoodle that gallops like a horse if one of the horse's legs was asleep. It's very awkward, but it's also very enthusiastic. 
Anyway, to teach her to sit, I started by holding a treat in front of her and saying sit. Obviously, she had no idea what I wanted her to do. So I kind of tried to push her butt down so she'd sit, but she seemed to think this was its own very fun game where she'd win if she resisted putting her butt down until I gave up and let go, at which point she'd excitedly run in circles. So I tried a different approach. I'd hold the treat and say sit and just stand there in front of her. She'd look at it and whine and bark and spin and nudge me with her nose and jump on the couch and jump on the bed and sometimes pee on the floor. And then eventually, usually because she was tired from everything else she'd just done, she'd sit. And I'd get all excited and I'd give her a treat. Then we'd do it again. I hold the treat and she'd go through her routine, eventually sitting again, and I gave her another treat. She's smart when she wants to be, and after about 15 minutes, she realized that sit equals treat. She learned quickly that if she went up to other dog owners and did this, they'd give her a treat too. So now she falls over herself, running up to everyone in the park and aggressively sitting in front of them. She gets tons of treats. Rubes and I basically spend our morning shaking down dog owners in Central Park. If it seems like we're getting off topic, we are and we aren't, because this process almost exactly is the right way to build a product. Ruby would be a great entrepreneur. But if Ruby was like most of the entrepreneurs I meet, when I held out a treat and told her to sit, she'd pee on the floor, and when I didn't give her a treat, she'd try to raise funding and run ads on Instagram. Your job is to do the right trick for your customer so that they pay you. This requires going to the right person, someone with treats and willing to give those treats to a strange dog, and doing the right trick, knowing what that person really wants from you. Most of all, it requires learning and iterating on a rock-solid foundation. You won't be right initially, and you need to build in buffer for that. And we will, after some smooth jazz. Hi there. If you want to advertise here, we're going to start accepting some ad placements. Get in front of thousands of entrepreneurs each week. Only stuff relevant to early stage entrepreneurs. Everyone is already familiar with Magic Spoon by now. Email me if interested, team at gettacklebox.com. Before we jump into the product framework, I want to clarify who this pod is for because building a product too early is a really bad strategy. Product needs to be pulled directly from your insight into a customer. Products are a reaction to customer knowledge. Find someone with a problem that's frequent, urgent, painful, growing, and expensive, or at least a few of those, and then you're ready to react to how they currently solve that problem with the product. If you aren't sure who your customer is or what problem they have or how they solve it now, learn that stuff first. That comes before product. It has to for product to truly be a reflection of the process your customer's already taking. But if you think you're ready to build something, here's how to know what to build and more importantly, how to approach building. By far the most important thing is for you to become the type of company that builds products a certain way. I visualize products as a pyramid. You work your way down through the pyramid from the top. When I'm thinking through a product, I sketch out a big pyramid on a piece of paper and pencil because, like with young rubes, there's going to be some trial and error here. The pyramid has two horizontal lines through it, breaking it into three parts. Each of those three parts has a question you need to answer. Anybody who wants this framework, by the way, you can just send us an email at team at and we'll get it back to you. The top section of the pyramid is the emotional layer. The question to ask is, what does your customer want to become? You'll help them X so that they can Y, with the Y being the indispensable piece. They want to be the type of company that what? This can get sticky. I asked someone building fractional CFO software this question the other day, and they were a bit confused and then replied, 
Um, I guess they want to be the type of company that doesn't have to hire a CFO to still have financial work done. And yeah, sure. But the key to the top section of the pyramid is that it should be a secret. In fact, write that down at the top of your pyramid. What secret do you know about this customer that no one else, especially your competitors, knows? The better the secret, the less important pure product execution becomes. It's like a seesaw. The more unique the insight, the less pressure on product building. If you're saying the value to your customer is that they don't have to hire a CFO, well, you're setting yourself up to have to be as good as a CFO, only cheaper. That sounds hard. Cheaper should never be your differentiator. After digging around a bit on the unique understanding of the specific customer and the unique insight of this specific founder, it was clear that the customer they were after was too small to have a financial person on staff, but still actually had pretty complex financials. That complexity stemmed from doing business in lots of places, something relatively new with the boom in digital businesses. Specifically, his early target were digital learning or teaching businesses. Someone teaching virtual yoga classes or giving private French lessons over Zoom or career coaching through an LMS. This market has exploded with practitioners building their own sites and presences and amassing tons of customers in different states and countries. Many of these formerly sole proprietors had grown enough to necessitate a small team. Digital learning is moving along the long tail and it is awesome. But this makes things like collecting money, payroll, and growth projections tricky. Most of these people were good at teaching French or yoga, not financial modeling. So with some more clarity on customer, I asked again, what is the secret you know about these customers that others don't? What type of company do they want to be? His answer came quick this time. They want to be a, quote, real company. His calls with these customers had gotten personal, as most customer interviews do. Friends and family had referred to their work as a hobby or something to do in the short term until they found a real job or something that would disappear once COVID was over, or most frustratingly, something to do on the side. Their businesses had been dismissed. They weren't taken seriously and it hurt. It also made them feel like they weren't serious businesses. So what they wanted to be was a real company, a company that had a system for financials and could handle taxes and not be overly stressed about what a new customer in England meant a company that could turn into a business that could turn into a long career. They wanted the stressful unknowns off their plate so that they could grow because real companies grow. Maybe this isn't the greatest secret in the world, but it's a good enough place to start. It's certainly better than will be your CFO if you can't hire one. The more unique the insight at the top of the pyramid, the more specific it is to your customer, the more it feels like you've somehow read their mind, the easier everything will become. But don't beat yourself up here if nothing you have is crazy insightful just yet. Remember, this is all in pencil and will change as you interact with customers. The product we're going to build is going to act like a game of ping pong. We're going to go back and forth. The pyramid is living, like in that movie The Mummy, which I never saw, but I think there are like four or five of them. I've got to imagine at some point the pyramids come to life and attack people. If you've got nothing insightful at all, that's fine too, but go back and talk to more customers. You might not be ready to build yet. If you've got lots of types of customers or lots of things your customers would want to become, make a bunch of pyramids, spread them out over the floor. Go nuts, make a day of it. The middle section of the pyramid is labeled metrics. You might've noticed we haven't spoken about what you're gonna build yet. Don't worry, we'll get there, but not yet. The metrics we're talking about are the things that happen that let the customer know that they're becoming the type of company they wanna become. The thing we described at the top of the pyramid. If that's complicated, let's make it simple. 
Let's say I want to become the type of person who competes in triathlons. Some metrics that show myself that I'm becoming that type of person might be how many swims a week I do or how many miles a month I run or how many races I sign up for or whether I've joined a triathlon team or club or maybe if I buy a bunch of triathlon gear. Different customer segments will have different metrics that determine that different top of line outcome. The more specific the segment, the more specific the metrics, the more specific and easy and effective the product. So for the fractional CFO, the question is, what needs to happen for the customer to feel like they're a, quote, real company? Is the metric a certain amount of growth, a certain number of customers, a number of new hires, their first new hire? What do real companies look, feel, and smell like to this customer? Speaking with our CFO friend made this pretty clear yet again. In his interviews, he'd heard about financial stress. Could they make payroll, rent if they had an office, cover one-time expenses? Every issue stemmed from a lack of financial transparency. What would happen if they lost 20 customers? How much tax would they likely owe? How much money did they actually have? What was their monthly burn? Could they afford to make a new hire? You'll likely have problems that look similar. Your customer will have lots of problems stemming from one core thing like transparency that would, on its own, be very hard to solve. The key is to get smaller and simpler, to find the things that most aggressively move the needle the things they're currently taking action to solve but just can't, the foot in the door for something like transparency. What are the most visible metrics they track? What do they look at that let them know if they're moving towards the type of company they want to be or away from it? Keep in mind, these often aren't rational, and that doesn't matter. The customer owns the problem no matter how they see it. You own the solution, and that solution stems from the way the customer sees the problem. However they see and interact with and feel about the problem, whether it's rational or not, is right. And it's the sandbox you'll have to play in. So you have to understand it. Your customer will want what they want, not what you want them to want. Our founder whittled these down to key metrics their founders constantly thought about, but were unable to really track no matter how many Excel courses online they took. One, how much runway do they have? Two, what's their current inflow versus outflow of cash? Three, how much should they hold each month for end-of-year taxes? Four, what's the ratio of their customer acquisition cost to their customer lifetime value? If they knew all four of these, they'd be able to confidently make forward-looking decisions. They could make hires or try marketing campaigns or whatever else might potentially move the needle. Without the data, they couldn't. They were neutered. Those are our metrics. Write them down. The bottom part of the pyramid is the product. It supports everything above it and is pulled directly from everything above it. The goal of the product pyramid is to take as many pure product decisions as possible out of your hands and put them into the hands of your customer. When you reach the bottom, it becomes clear the result that your product needs to create. We need a product that answers these four questions. How much runway, inflow versus outflow, how much to hold for taxes, what's the ratio of CAC to CLV? Doing this will help them become the type of company they want to become, or at least that's our initial hypothesis. So how do we do it? The best product builder I've ever known has a rule for the first product he builds for any company. That rule is that the product needs to be three parts feedback, one part feature, meaning you spend way more time figuring out how to learn exactly how your customer interacts with the product than the product feature itself. The way your product will get good is reps, the number of times that your customer interacts and gives you feedback on it. 
Ideally, you mix in some ethnographic research. You watch them interact and solve the problem that you're trying to help them solve. As we spoke about, the product is a reaction to the customer in that it solves a problem they have and doesn't push something new on them. Building that first product takes the same approach. If we want to answer these four questions for our customer, the first thing we need to know is when are they useful? And what exactly is our customer doing at that moment? When is this a problem for them? How do they solve it? And how might we fit in right there to help? If a career coach has hired two other part-time coaches to help handle clients, maybe she pays them every other Friday through Gusto, a common HR software for small businesses. Gusto sends an email that Monday reminding her that she's paying employees on the upcoming Friday and the balance will be deducted from her bank account. This is a natural time for that person to check their bank account to make sure that they'll be able to cover those salaries. And if her income is lumpy, maybe she has 10 new clients one month and two the next, and they're all over the country and there are taxes and benefits and all these other challenges, it seems like every other Monday or every Monday would be a good time for some transparency into financials. So maybe you start sending an email that answers those four questions each Monday. Maybe the subject is a quick win. It says something like, you can cover payroll the next four periods, more financial data enclosed. That's one part feature. The three parts feedback could be a linked page for each of the numbers that goes into more depth, a note that says, quote, reply to this email with any other financial questions or hop on a 20 minute call here with a link. And then a call out of an opportunity you saw based on financials, maybe something like, quote, we noticed ads in X newsletter generated 10 new clients. We'd recommend doing this again as it's your cheapest acquisition channel and a link next to it asking to click if this week's fact was useful. You could charge for the email and become clear quickly if this was actually valuable because they'd stop paying for it. If it actually helped them, they wouldn't stop paying and they'd likely share. When I get pitched ideas like this, the first product is always very advanced. The entrepreneur who pitched the CFO product was trying to raise money to build a dashboard that would display all sorts of advanced financials in real time. It cost a few hundred grand to build and take a few months to deploy. He mentioned he wanted it to be like Stripe. First, never compare your beginning to someone else's middle. It's nowhere near fair to you. Stripe has thousands of engineers and our CFO friend had a buddy who could code on weekends. Next, start as small as humanly possible. You're Ruby, trying tricks and getting feedback in real time, seeing what works. As our founder tests these emails with more customers, he'll learn what takes the most time on his end, which will tell him what to automate. Continued interactions with customers will continue to influence the top two blocks in the pyramid, which will continue to influence what you build. A great product can only exist with the top two blocks of the pyramid intact. The top of the pyramid is what your customer aspires to be. The middle are the metrics they use to measure whether they're moving towards that or not. The bottom is the product that moves the needle for the metrics they track. This approach ensures you're only building products that directly affect the metrics that directly impact who your customer wants to be. And by creating those metrics in the simplest way possible, prioritizing feedback and automating and scaling the features only once they've proven that they move the needle, you'll never waste time on something that doesn't matter. And it'll allow you to track your metric, which is, will this customer get excited enough about what I'm building to share it? That is the only way you'll grow. And now I'm off to watch The Mummy because I checked Rotten Tomatoes and it actually doesn't have bad reviews. Serves me right for writing off Brendan Fraser. Never write off Brendan Fraser. Have a great week. And if you want to go through the product pyramid with us, head to gettacklebox.com slash no whisper ideas and apply to the membership.
We make decisions in 72 hours. If you apply today, we can be talking through your idea by the weekend.